I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. In this week's episode of the Second Shift Podcast, I have a very special guest, my co-founder, Gina Hadley. Gina is always very reluctant to come on camera, but she provides such a good counterweight to hear what's going on in the world of business development in the clients that we talk to. And it's also, I mean, Gina's just the best and she's fun and she's funny and you'll get a behind the scenes look at what our conversation every day is like at work, where we're talking about current events, what we've been doing, the the future of work, the conferences that we've gone to, the headlines in the news, and how we think about our business, our messaging, our brand, the women that are in our community. So if you like this, let me know because I can force Gina to do this more often and but she's not going to do it for me. She's only going to do it if the clamoring of our community is so loud that they force her into that position. And maybe with something we can do once a week, we can put in a little bit at the beginning of each episode where we talk about what's going on in the state of women, work, and well-being, because there's always something going on. And I think she has a really interesting point of view and she's funny and I love her and so will you. The reason we're doing this is because there's been a lot of clamoring for more Gina content. And that is that is not true. It <laughs> is true. Everyone wants to hear you and hear us. And I was thinking about how to like incorporate more of us and conversation into Chat. the podcast format. And you know who my most favorite lifetime radio show and host is Howard Stern. Howard Stern. Yeah, Howard Stern. I love Howard Stern. And one of the pieces that I've always loved so much about the Howard Stern show was when he and Robin talk about the news and what's going on. So here we are. I guess I'm the Robin and you're the Howard, but I, I don't really know how it's going to no, work. That is, that is definitely not but true. I think both of us are We're going to just chat. About, Nobody's Howard. Nobody, <laughs> nobody can do Howard. No, we can just all try. But we are going to chat a little bit about what's going on in our world, in the world of women, work, well-being, and what we're seeing. You've had an interesting few weeks with conferences and there's been a lot going on in the news. So let's start. Let's just chat. Let's dig in, shall we? It is, it is, it is Halloween. I'm, I'm feeling my coziness today. It feels like fall finally. So and fall to me always means like a new season. It didn't feel like fall until today, I feel like. So yeah, that's true. Yesterday like was reset that. Reset everything. Like rainy, yucky day that sort of was when the leaves fell off the trees. Okay. So there's a study in the New York Times that came out. This is something that I was going to talk about and just highlight on our social media, but let's just chat about it. And the Times report shows that women with kids under five had a huge increase, biggest gain since the pandemic because of remote work, flexibility, and increased paid leave. But 
Here's the big but. That is only the case for women with college degrees. Well, I mean, it makes perfect sense because it is, I think, unfortunately, we are still in a world in which it is kind of employees versus employers. And perhaps there is an opportunity, there, there is a something in the world that makes employers think they can trust college educated women more. I don't know. It, but it, I mean, it tracks. It really tracks. The number of women with kids under five who don't have a college degree dropped since the pandemic. And look, it makes sense, right? Employers to get people to come back to work and to get women through a huge amount of benefits the way of women. They, you know, remote work, hybrid work, flexible hours, paid leave, all sorts of different benefits so that they can bring workforce back to work in an office in some capacity. But that only really works for educated knowledge women workers. and knowledge workers because knowledge the, workers. that and that's I think what the divide really is, because if you're not working in a company that is going to give that across the board, then yeah. you only get it if you're in the right business and you have the privilege of doing that. Well, you have to be on site. I mean, that's the thing is there are, there are yeah. the majority, you know, the majority of working women are working in jobs that many of them are in the service industry, retail care industry, whether they're in retail, hospitality. I also think, and I mean, and those jobs, it's unfortunately are undervalued. They are undervalued, but there's also no way to do them remotely. Fair. <laughs> I mean, there is like, let's let's be real. You cannot wait tables from your kitchen. I do think that there has been a reckoning for many people who didn't. I mean, I worked in the hospitality industry like my entire, you know, teenage and young adult life. So I have always um, had an enormous amount of respect for people who work in the service industry because I know how hard it is. But I think that we all came to the realization hopefully that these are not people that we can take for granted anymore. That being said, it is also extraordinary to me. I don't know if it's like this in any other city, but I have never seen so many delivery people in my life. It is as if we got used to having everything. There was just an article in the, in the New York times about how many Amazon boxes are delivered to apartment buildings in New York city every day. And it's more than I think the entire population of the city of Austin. Those of us who have the opportunity to be flexible and work from home are also taking advantage of all of those things of like, I can have my food delivered, I can have everything delivered. And I wonder if there is with these legions of women going back to work, just the desire to re-engage in the world, the desire to go to an office, see colleagues. And now that we've practiced it during you know the lockdown and post-lockdown, Women are more maybe lean and agile to use, like to steal a word from technology that they figured out, like they can sprint when they need to sprint and they can pull back when they need to pull back because they trust that their employers now understand that they have lives outside of the workforce. Okay. But on that note, 
Did you see that luminary? I'm trying to see who they did the study with. There was somebody else. It was a few women in future of work study. And uh, from Gen Z to boomers, a multi-generational look at women at work. And this study. Which I don't know how that happens because, I mean, within every generation, I feel like me in the mid 90s is different than you in the late 90s. So like that's a whole. But we're, we're uh, looking across the board. Yes, that is a large yeah. spectrum of women who lot. have very different needs at very different times. So it, and it city, should, is it is it broken down by location? Is it broken down urban by suburban by rural? So let's just we're just gonna meta. We're, just, we're gonna meta the shit out of this. I mean, this is the problem with studies, right? They they say yeah. conflicting things all the time, but they're interesting data points and just you know look at their headlines that grab your attention and they start a conversation. But in this one, this woman of work said. Women valued, obviously, work-life balance. They value, that's the number one thing that they value in their job, must have for critical for a new job. But they also said that, um, <laughs> there was one here, women across all generations believe working from home improve your work-life balance. However, right. fewer However, women believe that they're more productive at home. <laughs> one or three believe they are more productive in person. So... Well, maybe it's this very, is what, okay, let's, so let's hearken this back to the New York Times article, right? Yeah. So maybe, as you know, one of my pet peeves right now is the idea of trying to like pin down flexibility. So, you know, you have to be flexible about being flexible. Part of what I think that this study shows, and then the, the, the New York Times article that you were mentioning is that women are just trying to figure this out and maybe all the rules that we want to place on this and studies and data points, they just, they're hard to apply because everybody is figuring it out for themselves. And maybe that's one of the lessons that we're learning is, and I know that it is an anathema to business to not have policies and procedures around things, but as you know, you and I know, and you know better than anybody from talking to thousands and thousands of women who are trying to keep control of their careers and their professional lives, like this is not a one-size-fits-all solution. I guess it also depends on what productivity means. You may be yeah. less productive at certain times of the day, but you may be more productive in overall. But that's really hard for businesses to codify that if you're like yeah. asking people to come in in like a very specific time frame. It's hard when you're pulled in a million different directions. There's a benefit to that. It also depends on what's your job. If you're writing code, I'm sure when you plug in, you're far more productive sitting alone, either at your kitchen table or in an office. But if you're part of like a creative team or this is where, I mean, what is, to your point, Productivity means so many different things to different people. But what I'm going to take of like the big takeaway of these two things that we're talking about is this is the time when professional women are writing their own rules in some ways. They are trying to figure out how to make it work for them individually. And I think one, I know that one of the things that's the most interesting about our business right now is trying to pin down what works for a larger segment, because that's the only way we can talk to our business partners about it. Like what are best practices? How do you keep this workforce engaged and feeling supported? Um, even though all of this, all of this data seems to be contrary to any one way to do anything correctly. Like you said, if you segmented this information based on age, location, commute time, 
cost of childcare, age of children, age of parents, (laughs) then you would have a better idea. But, you know, lumping everybody together, there isn't a one size fits all plan that works for women, which is why we built in the optionality. That was the entire business model was creating jobs that gave women optionality at different times of their life. Because yes, putting everyone together, there isn't an answer that works for different women. That's just like, and here's the answer. It's constantly evolving because your life is evolving. It's interesting. I feel like it's how they talk about the fact that like this study, a lot of these things that we're seeing seem like they're using the same analysis and data points that they've always used, which I wonder if it's maybe somehow biased towards a constituency that doesn't have so many different gradients in it. Like, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, how we talk about when there are no medical studies around women, like, and then they just put the same male parameters around when they talk to women. I wonder if this is kind of the same thing as well. It's just hard. It's just, to your point, it's really hard. And I appreciate that Luminary is trying to put data points out there that we can, that we can all look at and have conversations around. I think that's the most important part of all of this is talking about what these studies mean. Okay. Now, when you're talking to clients and you just went to this charter, which is uh, friends of ours who have a workplace transformation and research newsletter and company. And they held a, I guess it was like a future of work conference. It was a workplace summit, Jenny. A workplace I summit, was at a summit. Me, a summit. I was at a summit. What were you hearing from the side of businesses who are trying to figure out how to make all of these pieces fit? So I will first caveat this with, I think Charter, as you say, that they're like a newsletter and an information gathering. This is a a cadre of people who've come together to try to solve problems, but they're also reporters. So they're reporting on new and what they think is breaking news. And I think my viewpoint is I appreciate that there's new things and there's breaking news, but we still haven't solved any of the old problems. So as I said to you, you know, previously about the summit, I thought it was super interesting. My main problem, and I think a lot of a lot of HR and talent officers' main problem is not AI. And there was a lot of talk about AI. And it's something that everybody wants to talk about. And I appreciate that it will probably change the parameters of jobs for a lot of people, but we still haven't figured out parental leave. (laughs) Like we still haven't figured out the same pay for the same job. We still haven't figured out flexibility and fractionality, but that is not nearly as shiny and sexy as talking about how to create empathy in the workplace in in an age of AI. So that was a lot of what I I learned a lot. I don't know how- What does AI have anything to do with empathy? Because AI is is a tool, and how do you use it? Um, I, look, I don't know. This is, okay, I'm not gonna pretend. I don't know. Okay, I am very into the whole AI. You know, I'm all yeah, about. But yeah, but, the but chat do you really GPT. honestly? But I'm, it doesn't make me less empathetic. That's great, but that also doesn't change the mission of our business. No, no, no. Like, it this just is where makes for me, some things like, that's speedier. What, Yes. And so I think that for me, the conference was centered around like efficiency. Also, it was definitely sponsored by Microsoft. So obviously the Microsoft team wants to talk a lot about AI and I appreciate Mm. that. And there were some things that blew my mind about their new product, Copilot. The most interesting 
panel for me was one with our friend Mita Malik. And it was about the state of DEI right now. And we are in a moment in many states in this country. This was a great charter newsletter. They're outlawing DEI now, they're outlawing affirmative action. And this is all part of the same, I think, ploy that anything that gives any underrepresented or past marginalized group any kind of leg up is now under the kind of woke umbrella. So there are states in this country where you cannot have DEI officers anymore. Like the University of the State of Florida got rid of the entire DEI. We really like that was a very quick pendulum shift. That was well, so fast from like this was a huge part of business initiatives and business and inclusivity and education to making it a political statement. It really, that was that that like is whiplash. But okay, but that makes perfect sense in some ways, right? Like we are, yeah, we are in the middle of so much whiplash right now, and I think that it put into perfect relief right now what we're seeing in the world is that there has to be like a giant reaction to everything, whether it was the overturning of Roe v. Wade, whether it is the abolishment of affirmative action. The trickle down a lot of these things for women in work is going to be tangible. And it just gives me energy because we have a lot, we, it's going to be harder, I think, for certain segments of women to figure out how to make their way in the workplace. We were making generational changes. But the fact that, you know, we are in a world right now when it's such a difficult political landscape. And we also, you and I both know that like these DEI budgets, like these diversity and inclusion budgets, like they're going away. It's, they're very easy budgets to cut. And it's really challenging for people to make their organizations more diverse and more equitable and more inclusive. Um, and we can link to the article from Charter. Yeah, that's a good idea. That must have been very upsetting for Mita, who spent her life working on this, has podcast about it. It was the thing that was extraordinary. It. There's a woman called the, the one of the other women on the panel, Stephanie Creary. She's a professor in the Wharton Business School. And when both of them were asked by the moderator, Mitra Kalita, what we could do, Mita's answer at the very end, like the lightning round, was empathy was have empathy for the people you work with. Listen to people, you know, continue to practice empathy at work. And Professor Creary said, vote. And what she said that was so, I think, pragmatic and actionable was employers need to give their employees the day off to vote. Because hmm. it was a room full of HR people and talent officers. Give your teams the time and the space they need to vote. I love that. So those were two, which I felt were, it was a bummer after the five years that we've had where we've seen this extraordinary uptick, rightfully so, that we are held hostage now by this political landscape that wants anything that has to do with diversity and inclusion or affirmative action is now up for grabs. Okay. I want to ask you a question. I have absolutely no idea if we're going to keep this in because it might not wind up being something that we feel like we want to dive into. But I've been having a little bit of an existential crisis that we haven't discussed yet. Right, right. But I've thought it through and I've come to my own answer on this, but I'm just curious on yours, 
which is when we talk about what's happening in the world right now, you know, we are not a political organization, but we are an empathetic organization. We are created for women to help women. And I look at what's happening in so many ways across the board, whether it's like anti-Semitism or lack of empathy, DEI, whatever it is. And I see this rise of kind of identity politics. And there is no empathy in identity politics. There is only me no, and divisiveness and what's best for my group. And I had this feeling the other day where I was like, we spent the last 10 years building a business that was for women, by women, about women. And I was like, have we been perpetuating or making it worse? Have we been bad actors, even though we thought we were doing right? This was the existential crisis I had, where I was like, have we been fostering an environment of us versus this binary, even though Hmm. we were trying to make things equal and to have empathy for women, for men, for HR officers, all of it to just advocate for women was there, there was, I, it like blew my mind the other day and I started down a rabbit hole of bad thoughts, but I, I, I got to a place. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are. So my initial thought is that we started this business to solve a particular problem that we were seeing and we were part of that was going to have a positive effect on a demographic that we intimately understood. And part of the reason that we focused on professional women with a certain level of expertise is that we wanted to try to solve that specific problem first, we kept saying, and then we would move on to something else. It's just proven to be an extremely difficult problem to solve. Yeah, I think we all find ourselves, you know, you and I talk a lot about our distaste for affinity groups. And that just by aligning yourself with something, are you in some ways being hypocritical and trying to hear everybody's position and, and be in a mindset in which you try to be a citizen of a larger world? It is interesting. It's something that I had lunch yesterday with one of our clients. And one of the things that I was telling her was, I find that I talk way more about the changing talent landscape and about talent and about how we kind of cauterize some of these changes that we saw happen over the forced home and working from home. And that just seems to benefit working women at a far greater number than any other group of working people. So I get your point. We, I do think also when you and I started this business, it was actually before the wave of everything was about women. I mean, we started talking about this in 2014 when everything was amazing and we still had president Biden and it was all, we were going to get Hillary Clinton and it was going to be amazing. And I think running up to that, to your point, the, the divisiveness, the hatefulness, the anger, the us against them. We wouldn't, we didn't start out to be political in any way. We just started out to solve a problem that we saw in our lives and like around the women with us and trying to, you know, wasn't meant to 
anger. But I remember when we started, remember when somebody called us like libtards and feminazis and all these things. And I was like, I've never considered myself particularly up until that point. I never considered myself like, you know, super like activistic or, or feminist in that way. Like that wasn't something that I defined myself at. And then 2016 happened. Then 2016 happened and we are now, and we are still, um, we are still reeling from the backlash. So basically what we're saying is Trump caused the divide, these divides. I'm going to say it started with Newt Gingrich and we're going to go all the way back to that. But if you think about the social media, this was like really before social media, it was before, you know, fake news. It was before we had such negativity and anger. And I don't think we ever came at it from a negative place. That's what I came to where like, we've never, and there have been, I will tell you, do you know what the easiest way to get more followers is? Do you know what the easiest way to get like attention if you want attention? And we've been doing this to yell and scream to us versus you patriarchy, patriarchy. We would have a much bigger business and a much bigger following if we had gone down the path of binary, unhappy angriness. And we never did that because I just, I don't think that's a helpful place to be. And I like want us to be a community that pulls people together. But that is also not our business. We are not a content business. We make content. We do this kind of stuff. It would not have helped us find employment for our thousands of members, it would not have helped us at all in our conversations with talent and HR officers and stakeholders within companies large and small. I mean, maybe it would have gotten us a bigger following on Instagram, but it, but also this is not essential to, it is not essential to our core business is our opinion of the world. What is essential to our core business is solving these problems. And to your point, we always came at it from a, I think from positivity of instituting positive change, which would be helpful for the women that trust us that are in our membership and the companies that we work for. We were solving their problems. We are solving their problems in a creative and proactive way. And being supportive in all sides. Yeah. But even the content we put out is supportive content. Some of it is factual. It's interesting to go through when there's new data, when there's new studies. That's just giving facts to people so they have the most current information. But it's really not, you know, and now we're going to just be so miserable about it. It's like, how do we reframe anything into a way? I know you like to call me like relentlessly, you know, positive, but how do we reframe? I call you pathologically optimistic, Jenny. You are pathologically optimistic. But it's, it is, it's like, take this information, reframe it, take the whole thing and say like, how do we use it to support women to give them the information they need to know to make positive change and to stay on the course and not get sucked down into a morass because it's real easy and it gets you a lot of attention and it gets you a conversation that could feel really emotional and like you're working something through, but, but you're not, it's not helpful. There's nothing helpful in that. No, not at all. And I think I know that you and I have talked about this, you know, we talk about this as a team is there's only so much energy that you also have to expend. And so 
expending energy in a positive, pragmatic, problem-solving way. But also, like, even what you just said about when we talk about these things, we talk about studies and facts. Facts have become politicized now. Like, the fact that, you know, we are talking about a study that even only talk to women. Like, what about, I don't know. Even worse that it was in the New York Times and that that's become political. Like everything is political. And there's times where I'm like, I refuse to be afraid to talk about something or to put it out there if I think that it's relevant. But I also don't think that we need to be sucked into every political conversation that has nothing to do with us as a business, not as people. But it's everybody's pastime to be an expert on everything. Expert on everything and have to make a statement. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe in that. Like we, if it has to do with us and has to do with women and has to do with, you know, workplace, we will have something to say. And like, even just this conversation, we run everything through a filter and talk it through. This isn't a one-off conversation. This is very much like what our day-to-day is like at the second shift. Kemp, I think, has a very similar opinions usually as we do, but but we we come to a consensus about things and we don't get swayed if we don't think that it's authentic to this business. I completely agree. Yay, always, we do. Yes, so I do not think that we are some kind of... Uh, me versus them organization. Okay, good. Cause I really went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> it's also, also the thing about it. And this is something that my older son, Chris has said to me, like, no matter what happens, we have never, we are not the ruling class. The, the, the women that the, what we're talking about in the workplace has never been the norm. So it's very hard, you know, it's very, it would be very hard for us to be part of the problem because let's be clear, the patriarchy has been an enormous problem. And I don't think any like, and, but rah-rah patriarchy is kind of like something that I'm sure that there are lots of people behind closed doors are like, oh my God, can we just go back to, we gave them five years. Well, it's like that, it's like in the Barbie movie when he's like, no, we're doing it well. We're just hiding it better. <laughs> no, no, we're doing patriarchy well. Well, the best was when, it, when Ken says that when he found out the patriarchy was all about horses, he really lost interest. Yeah. All right. I think we're going to wrap this up. Gina, I thank you so much. I love you. We're going to link to the charter article about the DEI stuff. Jenny's going to link to the New York Times. We're going to link to the study by our friends at Luminary. I would love to know if people enjoyed this, because if people enjoyed this kind of conversation, then I can rope you into doing it more often, because maybe we would have like do this for five minutes and just do it once a week and put it at the beginning of the show. You know, that could be something if people are into it. So people, but I want to know, but here's the thing. You're like, you please never make remotely. Me, no, please, that's not it. Do I want to know what new gear you got. Like last time I wore the face mask. I know you have new stuff that arrived. Like, is there a wand? I will I get, if, if I make you this? do this once a, once a week, I will get you like all the lights and all the things that you need. So you'll be happy. Let's, so but happy. if you love Gina and you love this content, let us know because then but if you don't, I, then she's not going to listen to me. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to listen to me. <laughs> so let me know what you think. Only if you love me though. <laughs> Only if you love me. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.